From a wide range of embroidery classes to talks and special events, Royal School of Needlework's International Summer School offers so much. Immerse yourself in the world of the RSN with its world-renowned tuition and treat yourself to this Festival of Stitch in July and August 2024. The Royal School of Needlework is offering four ways to get involved this year. You can join the International Summer School on-site at Hampton Court Palace and at the Royal School of Needlework Durham in the UK, as well as Lexington, Kentucky in the United States of America. There are also online classes available live so students can join in anywhere from around the world. There's a wonderful variety of techniques to explore for those who are starting out on their hand embroidery journey all the way through to advanced stitches. So whether you want to follow a kit-based design, explore your own creativity using your own materials in a more contemporary way, or focus on developing your personal design skills, there will be a class that appeals to you. The Royal School of Needlework International Summer School classes will provide experienced stitchers with an opportunity to engage in a longer or more advanced project while allowing those newer to the world of hand embroidery to try a shorter course to build and develop their skills. The full list of classes and more information about the Royal School of Needlework International Summer School is available at royal-needlework.org.uk with special offers for booking multiple classes and an early bird booking price available until the 29th of February 2024. Whether you're planning on attending in person, online, or a combination of the two, this is a fantastic opportunity to improve your stitching skills from one of the best schools in the world. Stephanie Matheson Avales, also known as Fine Frog Stitching, is one of the most interesting and dynamic new cross-stitch designers I've met in a long time. I say new, she's been around for like three or four years, but to be honest, Steph's come out of the gate swinging hard and her background as a pixel artist gives her a confidence in her design aesthetic that you can just tell straight away. I'd never met Steph before, but I've been a fan of hers for a good few years and it was great having a conversation with her to find out how she came to be fine frog stitching. And in this first part of our conversation, we have a good talk about what cross-stitch means to Steph and have a really interesting conversation about her use of colour and the way that she's been taught to think about using colours. It was something I'd never really considered, but um, her yeah background as a pixel artist means she's come from a different starting point in the first place. And I think it's just, you can tell when you see her designs how confident she is in her storytelling abilities. I absolutely love checking with Steph. She's a great person. It was nice to meet her. And um, yeah, I think you'll really enjoy this show. Apologies for there not being a show last week. Despite my best intentions, life got in the way. But I have, we have Christmas, Christmas Day. Then the week after that, we have New Year's Day. Then the week after that, we have my birthday. And while I would like to say that I spent those two weeks partying heartily, alas, I didn't do that. But it's been fairly hectic. But the kids are all back at school now. Life returns to normal. I'm glad to be back in your ears. I know you're going to love meeting Steph. So let's crack on and I'll see you next week. Enjoy the show. Are you in Wisconsin? Yes, I am. Yes. I don't imagine like, so England's view of America is probably the same as America's view of England, largely based on the news, probably wholly inaccurate. I think of Wisconsin, I think of cheese and trees. You know, you're not wrong. (laughs) 
there's a lot of cheese, a lot of dairy farms. Like cheese is part of the culture for sure. Right. Yeah. But what's it? So what's it like? What's Bunsen like? Well, I want to preface this. I've lived here for four years. I, I'm not from here. Okay. It's very cold in the winters, mm-hmm. but summers are gorgeous. So worth it for me. I'm more of a cold weather person anyway. Okay. But other than that, I do love the trees. There are a lot of trees here, which I lived in Texas for a while, which is the complete opposite. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So where were you from originally? Complicated question. <laughs> I was born in Baltimore, Maryland. Right. Over on the East Coast. But whenever I wasn't in school, we were always in Mexico with uh, my family. With my family. The drug cartel. (laughs) Not quite. I mean, we knew a couple, but... (laughs) (laughs) Right. No, my family, not the family. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So so how come... What, just because... Is it just like, you know, like, say we might go to France or something, you're like, it's the next nearest different country or whatever. Like, again, we've got such a narrow view of Mexico, I literally know nothing. (laughs) No, I mean, it's a very, like, depending on where you go in Mexico, it can be completely different. Like, to the south, there's jungles. To the north, there's deserts. My family's mostly in, like, the center area where it's very mountainous um, at a very high elevation. Mm. But, yeah, no, I love Mexico. I mean, I basically grew up spending a lot of time in Mexico, so. And is that where you're affection for nature it feels like that's the sort of place where you're really going to get rammed home that we're all like natural beings and stuff you know i would say not i think my inspiration for my affinity for nature comes more from traveling the u.s okay because we have so many national parks that Mm. are absolutely wonderful and my husband and i in our time together have made a point of visiting as many of these national parks and even some state parks as we can we do a big annual trip for our anniversary that takes us usually to some sort of nature-centered location. Right. The thing about Mexico is I've never been hiking in Mexico. Like, it's kind of not recommended to go out in the boonies where there's no one else because it can be a little unsafe. Mm -hmm. So there are a ton of natural wonders in Mexico. You just have to be careful about where you go and who you go with. All All right. Have you got a favorite national park? I think we went to Glacier National Park in Montana a couple years back. And oh my God, it was incredible. There's a trail called the Highline Trail where you're basically just hiking on the side of a mountain in a valley. And I mean, the Rocky Mountains are enormous. (laughs) Nothing compared to like the East Coast Mountains, which are much older and therefore much less dramatic. Right. Because some of your parks are like this, like the UK can fit inside them, that kind of scale, aren't they? I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Definitely. So you are Steph. You are fine frog stitching. Mm-hmm. I'm going to compliment you because I was thinking about it and I was thinking for someone, if you'll permit me, who's not really been around a huge amount of time. I mean, I think you started your in what, 2020? Like, yes, your design skills are strong, man. I'm putting you up there with like tiny modernist level, you know, your use of color, your use of composition, your use of text, your, I was gonna say chutzpah, like you nailing it, (laughs) really, you've come out of the park swinging. Tell me all about that, please. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much. (laughs) No, yeah, I mean, I actually started cross stitching period in 2019. Wow. Wow. Yeah, in November of 2019. God. That was the first time I ever cross-stitched. And it came out of the blue. Like, 
one evening, I was really bored in a small town in Nebraska where we were living at the time. And I decided, you know, I need a new craft. Let's try cross stitch. And that's how that happened. And then fast forward into 2020, actually pre-pandemic 2020, I was already designing because I have a background in graphic design. I have a background in sort of pixel art. Right. Kind of. I was kind of off. Yeah, I did pixel art a little bit as a teenager and graphic design a lot since I was a teenager mm. and just various forms of art over the years. I was was really into fine art photography for a couple years in there, too. Mm. And you were a jewelry designer. I was. <laughs> I actually no longer do that. I mean, yeah, it just it was something that kind of fell into my lap because I was working at a coffee shop. I don't like having my hair up but I wanted earrings to make myself feel better about it. And it got to the point where I was, well, you know, I'm making two or three pairs of each design. I might as well sell them. So that's kind of how that happened. And I realized this past January, that wasn't really what was calling to me. Very fortunate that I have my husband supporting me. I'm the same with my wife, I should add. Despite seeming like I'm something like a phenomenon, I'm glad, as I put it, my wife has a real job. It's very helpful. Yeah, <laughs> I wasn't going to put it that way, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. So tell me, so when you started out, my understanding is you started out as Sage Bundle Stitches, leaning into the paganism, talk about that a bit later. How did you become a fine frog? <laughs> well, so for a while, I was also Linen Court's studio. Oh, wow. For like a year in there somewhere. <laughs> the way it kind of progressed was... I was Sage Bundle Stitches about, I want to say, like maybe a year in, I realized, eh, that's not the best name from a cultural appropriation perspective, because a lot of, I guess in the US, a lot of indigenous tribes use sage cleansing and smudging as a closed practice. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that at the time, but educated myself and I was like, yeah, you know, maybe this isn't the best name for me as a person without that connection to have. So, but I wanted to stick with my theme of paganism a little bit. So Linen and Court Studio was born, but not long after I rebranded, I decided to just take a complete hiatus from designing. Like I just completely stopped for a year, just entirely. But I got inspired to get back into it by some crustage colleagues, designer colleagues. i realized, you know, the Linen Quartz brand had never really spoken to me mm. on a deep level. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't particularly well known. So I was like, well, I've, if I'm going to rebrand, it uh, should be now. <laughs> so Fine Frog Stitching came about. It was inspired by my most popular pattern to date, which is St. Frogo. It's great. It's what, do you know what? <laughs> to cut in for a minute, it's annoying how good your patterns have come out from the start. It's annoying because you're so talented. God bless you. Oh, stop. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, St. Frogo, he is by far to this day my most popular pattern. So I workshopped a couple names that had to do with him and then ultimately ended up on fine frog mm. fine frog stitching and how is it going with fine frog stitching so i recently in march i decided to focus semi full-time on it mm -hmm. because i quit my jewelry and it has been phenomenal like i've seen 
insane growth this year, which is really exciting. Yeah. Because I've had the time to put into and the knowledge too that I learned from my jewelry business. I've had time to put that into practice for my cross stitch business and it has just gone really, really well. Mm. So I'd imagine like you know, it's dreadful, right? So I started my Etsy store in two thousand and eight and I got a notification from Etsy the other day you know, a month ago going, congratulations, you've hit 700 sales. And I was like, I don't think I'm doing it right. You know, I'm not sure what it is because Claire, uh, Claire Climbing Goat Designs, I love her, and she's had something like 50,000 sales or something ridiculous, you know, and I'm just like, what have I? I there's so many bits of my business that I look at and I go, well, why is there no, what am I doing wrong there? I think mine is the example <laughs> of try all the things but don't do any of them properly, become misdirected. <laughs> I mean, clearly you're doing something right. You've got your other things going on. <laughs> There's something there, but no, but I mean, this is the thing. This is the thing that fascinates me. But yours yours is a Shopify store, isn't it? Is it? Yes, it is. Yeah. I also have an Etsy, but I don't advertise it. Right, right, right. So I'm quite interested, let's, because there's loads of things I want to talk to you about. And some of them are very like the mechanical business of cross stitch and all those sorts of things. I will, I tell you what, we'll get into the weeds a bit later, but I want to know what cross stitch means to you. It's my preferred art form mainly because I work really well within constraints. I That's why I love pixel art and cross-stitch takes it one step beyond. I like pixel art because there's only so many ways you can arrange pixels. Mm. So you have to be really creative to find the right one, the just right way of putting everything together. And like I said, cross-stitch takes that a step further by imposing color restrictions on mm, that. yeah, yeah. I design solely in DMC. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's only so many colors I have available for my palette. And I find that really inspiring in a way like that's that spurs my creativity. Mm. So you do you see it, don't you? Pixel artists do often thrive on the you've got four colors and you've got 128 squares, make something magic kind of like that really pushes pixel artist buttons, doesn't it? Yes, 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 yes. I love that sort of thing quote unquote, normal drawing intimidates the hell out of me. Mm, yeah. <laughs> because there's just so many ways of doing so many things and curves are intimidating. <laughs> mm. But give you a bit of dithering and you're all over it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so did you, because I suppose that does explain it, because I was trying to work out, like, you know, I, I'm aware that you did photography. And I think there's something about some, you did some big billboards as well. Was that a photography project or was that a broader design project? No. That was a design project I did for a high school I was working at in Texas. I worked as a communications manager person at, at a private high school in Texas. That was like my favorite job ever. <laughs> I ended up quitting that to go to college. But yeah, that's what that was for. The billboards were, were a work project. And if you always had a good sense of design, has that always felt like something that you're good at? Yes. From like... I started web design and graphic design when I was about 11 years old. Wow. Yeah, it was my hobby. <laughs> and was pixel art wrapped up in all of that kind of exploration stuff then? Somewhere in the age range of 13, 14. Yeah, I had a little pixel art phase. Because it's really... It never turned into anything crazy. Right. Because it's still, it's still quite an emerging art form, I think. Weirdly, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But the thing I always love about it is when you see people, you know, I work with a few pixel art designers within the magazine. Pixel Cars is a great example. Dino from Croatia just does cars. But what I love is that 
pixel artists aren't bound up by the same kind of history of cross-stitch. So in the same way as like I'm a guy who starts cross-stitching, so I never started doing flowery borders or whatever. I've always, you know, your starting point is different, so your creative path's different. That's the same for you guys, right? Yeah, I mean, I think once you have that like intellectual shift into cross-stitch is just analog pixel art, that kind of opens a whole new set of possibilities as to what you can design and how you can design it, especially when it comes to color and perspective. Like a lot of my work, I don't do samplers. Mm. I don't do two-dimensional designs, for lack of a better word. I A lot of my work is illustrative and has a lot of dimension to it in the style of actual portraits. Mm. And I think... I don't know. I haven't been in the cross-stitch world for too long, but I feel like that is a very recent kind of style that has emerged more in contemporary cross-stitch design. I could be completely wrong, but for me, that style is inspired more by the pixel art side of things than it is by the traditional cross-stitch rules. Yeah. And you can see that, I think. Like your I think one of the things that's really stunning is your color decision making. You know, whether it's a whale or a bird, you don't go for the obvious stuff. And I think there is that fantastical element. It is very video gamey. It's very like fearless. It's like all bets are off. You can just do whatever feels right. Does that sound about right? Yeah, yeah. One of, I mean, I've always loved experimenting with color, like all my artistic endeavors. I think that started with a high school teacher. Her name was Miss O'Donnell. Shout out to Miss O'Donnell if you're listening. big piece of advice. Yeah, (laughs) she probably isn't. (laughs) She might be gone by now. (laughs) Her one big piece of color advice that just really stuck with me and made me think about color differently was never use black, Mm. which sounds like an odd piece of advice. But her reasoning was, you know, if you feel the need to use black, because this was a beginner's art class in high school, If you feel the need to use black for shadows or something like that, there is always a better choice. There is always a more creative choice that will look more natural and make it more interesting. And like I said, that kind of changed how I think about color a lot. To this day, I rarely use black in my designs. (laughs) With the same hold true for using white? I would say so. I would say white is a little different because white as a highlight represents an abundance of light whereas black is a complete absence of light Mm. and absence of color Mm. you know we as humans as the light level of our surroundings decreases we stop seeing color like in dim light we just don't see color Mm. it's not how our eyes work so i'd say it's a little different there's it's just just made me think we've got this flower in our back garden and my wife's going to shoot me because I don't know the name of it. It's a sort of yellow flower. But one thing that's really noticeable about it is when the light goes down, as you say, a lot of the other flower colours and plant colours kind of fade into the background. But this yellow still sits out a bit. It's like one of the last colours to kind of fade, which is really interesting. I wonder if it's like a frequency thing or something. Yeah, probably. Frequencies of light are interesting to me. <laughs> mm, mm. And then... Just how we perceive colour. Yeah. Can you tell me about it? What's your, have you got a thesis? Oh, I mean, not necessarily. I haven't given it a lot of scholarly thought, but (laughs) I just, I do find the concept of, you know, as light levels go down, we stop seeing color. Mm. I've always found that concept interesting. And I think it also informs how I decide to color certain things. I mean, ambient light changes colors in ways that we don't realize. 
Like if you take a photograph of an object at dusk, it may seem like a red object, but then when you go in and use the color drop tool on the digital photograph, it can be a totally different color. Right. Does that make any sense? I think so. Do you know what it reminds me of? There was that optical illusion, wasn't there, about that dress? Was it like, is the dress white and gold or is the dress black and something? That is a much better example, yes. Like if you take the photograph and run it through Photoshop and use the eyedropper tool, I believe it comes out to black and blue. Mm. But, you know, optical illusion, like you said. Color is so reliant on the interactions with other colors around it. Mm. I guess. So does that inform your design making? Like, So when you do your design, for instance, you've got a design of, so you've got the fine frog, haven't you? Is it? How would you describe that theme? Is it sort of like holy animals or animals in priesthood or something? <laughs> I think it's more refined animals, refined animal portraits. Right. So then you've got some, you've got a, the oak keeper, white background, mm-hmm. and then you've got patron of the bird dark background is that designed on a dark to be on a dark background and then do you come from a particular design point because you're going that's meant to be on a dark background yeah I always color my digital canvas as what I foresee the cloth color being Mm -hmm. I usually choose the cloth based on whatever color I was using on my canvas it's you know and how does your design process work? Are you a sketcher first? Are you a, I've got an idea, I'm just going to build it up? Because pixel artists, I think, just go, let's put some squares on and let's sort of shape it as you go, right? Yes, that is absolutely what I do, the latter. I am terrified of sketching. I'm not good at it. Well, I mean, you're not supposed to be good at sketching, but, you know, I'm too much of a perfectionist. No, I work straight into my pixel art program. I use an app called Pixaki on my iPad. It is a solely pixel art program, and I kind of just have to guess the colors based on my knowledge of the existing DMC colors, and then I um, convert it using my cross-stitch program. Mm -hmm. So, And do you, so for instance, if we talk about the patron of the birds, is that the right title? I can't remember. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yes. How do you build that idea up? Have you got an idea as a sort of finished vision in your head that you have to put down, or you're like... It starts out as being a flamingo and it ends up being a goose. No, I definitely have. I have the concept nailed down. And what's kind of fluid is the execution. Mm. I had this idea of a saintly goose and I decided pretty early on into drafting it that I wanted to be flipping the bird. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, because, you know, geese have this reputation of being, you know, kind of flippant and uncaring. Yeah. So, but that's really all I knew. I always start with the animal's face or the animal's defining features and then work from there. The last thing I ever do is the robes and the clothing. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, that's the last thing I ever work on because that's just not as important to me. So it's, I work on the central pieces first. Right. And has the idea, like say for instance, with the robes and the clothing, has that ever like changed by the time you've finished the figure because the figure has redefined their own like being? Yeah, for sure. The biggest change that happens to the clothing is probably color. And that very much changes based on the personality that this animal has kind of shown itself to have. So, and also the form that the, robes take changes i find that a little challenging to figure out exactly how the robes are going to look or how the clothing is going to look but yeah things definitely change 
based on, again, the personality that the creature is kind of putting out. Do you use external references? Because I know, like, so I like comic books, and sometimes you think being a comic book artist, you draw, draw stuff, but you don't. You have books about every single reference all around you, so that you get it looking right. <laughs> is it is it similar? I heavily use references. Yes, I'm not good at drawing just from my mind's eye. I can do shading from my mind's eye, but like blocking out the basic shapes, I really need a reference for that. Mm. Even if it's a snail with a ship in a bottle on its back. (laughs) That one I might have actually just drawn. Snails are pretty easy for me. When in doubt, draw a snail. That's (laughs) a good metaphor, if in doubt. Yeah, I like the sound of that. Is there, because I mean, how many patterns would you say, how many have you got in your shop off the top of your head, you know? I think in the shop right now, I might have 30 to 40. Right. And do they, does your process, are they starting to line up into categories of designs? Because I feel, this is my sense, is you make a thing and then another idea has come along and it needn't necessarily be a follow-on to the other idea. I feel like you're one of those kind of channeling ideas kind of people. Like there are people who are like scientific about this and there are people who are conduits and you feel like a conduit to me. It, I've always found inspiration to be really challenging for me, actually. I'm not one of those people who has too many ideas in too little time. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of the opposite. But when I do get an idea, I it is kind of, like you say, I'm, I'm more of a conduit kind of person. And one thing usually does lead to another, like St. Frogo led to all my other saintly animals down the line. And I think that, I mean, that's how I've kind of narrowed down my, my style. Do they, does one saint follow on to another saint or do you have to do like a a bird in the middle or another slightly odd thing like a whale and then you're back on the saints again i mean the main reason i don't just stick to the saints is uh because i'm worried about boring my audience (laughs) (laughs) that's the main reason i don't lean too heavily into that Mm. i do try to stick some other things in the mix I sometimes wonder whether some people, like I did this interview with Sally Wilson, who's super creative. With her work, you can only really get a sense of how creative she is by looking at all of it. And I sometimes feel like you might end up on that path because you're doing pieces of a puzzle and you don't know what the full jigsaw is yet. You're just doing the pieces of the puzzle. And it may be there's five smaller puzzles that you're building, or it might be some kind of magnum opus. But I feel like it's just an iterative like throughput thing that's going in a direction. And sometimes you just need to not get in the way of that direction. Yeah, I mean, I can see how that applies. Yes. I mean, I'm kind of building up a small pantheon of saints over here. On the other hand, I'm also, my stuff does tend to fall into different series as saintly animals. I do also have my posters, the, you know, ominous posters. Like a nice counter, like the black market specimens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. So, yeah, I, I tend to categorize things and continue on certain threads. And when you're building these characters and building these words, like I know you've got a background in like creative writing, haven't you? I think you studied that. So, are you making stories up for these people as you go along? Like, is that something that you're writing down on the side and you might make a book one day, sort of thing? If you look at my product descriptions, a lot of them do actually have small stories attached. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So, yeah, I definitely create a narrative in my head of these creatures and what they're up to. Mm. I mean, it's usually not anything more than just a paragraph of flash fiction, but I find that fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could see that. It feels like a natural fit because I think that was when I was trying to put the pieces of you together, as it were, I was like, when you were a storyteller, and I guess 
that's what's interesting is maybe because I mean, how long ago was it that you did your degree? I graduated in 2018. Right. So there's been quite a bit of water under the bridge. I mean, were you sort of still writing all along the way? Have you always done a bit of writing here and there? Is it something you continue to practice? Actually, after my degree, I got uh, kind of burnt out on it. Mm-hmm. So I don't do any writing for myself, like on the side anymore, outside of how it pertains to cross stitch. That's mm. something I kind of stopped doing. But then it's interesting that these characters give you an excuse to get back into that little groove again. Yeah. No, it's nice because it does give me an excuse to write something short and low stakes, you know, <laughs> because prior to this, I was writing short stories and trying to get published here and there. And mm. it was just really stressful. Mm. But no, this is a great low stakes way of tapping into that same energy. Mm. And I enjoy it. I was thinking about Jack Roberts when he does his machine embroidery and how he makes films as part of it. And it's almost like the two things have just naturally become his creative output. So they're separate, but they're together in the same way. And I wonder whether that's something that you'll end up evolving down because it does, it feels like you are building this world, aren't you? Bit by bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think I've been hesitant to lean into it too much, but I think down the line, I, it is something I enjoy and it is something I should pursue a little more thoroughly or regularly. But at the same time, I know as someone, when they ask me, what are you cross-stitching lately? And I say literally nothing thanks to my services to the world of cross-stitch. You know, anytime, you know, doing things for fun and doing things for work are quite different, even if they're things you really enjoy. Is Are you quite, because of your degree, are you quite aware of that? Yeah, writing for my degree was, I'm not going to say it was pulling teeth, but it was, mm. it did get difficult by the end. Yeah. I definitely got a little disillusioned mm. with it. But part of that is because my mental health was just in shambles right. back then. Is it because it's not fun? No, it is fun. <laughs> I find it more fun now that it's, you know, like I said, lower stakes. No one's grading me on it. I'm not trying to get it published. It doesn't have to be perfect. Mm. And I think that's what gets me in both writing and art. I am such a perfectionist. It's really difficult for me to do something and not feel the need to just get it right the first time. Is it easy? And that's one of my one of my biggest flaws as an artist. <laughs> yeah, but maybe it's easier to deliver perfection on your terms. Maybe the challenge is when it's someone else's sense of perfection. Yeah. I mean, a great example is my undergraduate thesis was a novella because that's just what you do in the creative writing program. Right. And it was a great little piece of writing until my thesis director got involved and started kind of pigeonholing me and, and trying to guide me into what she wanted. And that was a big lesson for me. Like, I should avoid letting people tell me what to do in my heart and my writing, because then it becomes something disjointed and just starts not making sense. And it was very literal and very clear in that thesis piece that, you know, things kind of fell apart at the seams once I started listening to her. Yeah. So I've been trying to avoid that in my visual art endeavors. I suppose it's the difference between if you're like a commercial artist and you're just doing what people are asking you to do, which is an entirely different mindset from the start, right? Whereas if you're making something true to you and someone goes, I want a different version of true to you. And it's like, how are you supposed to do that? Yeah. And that's been one of my struggles because, you know, I do want this to be a business for me. Mm -hmm. I do want this to eventually turn into a real source of income for me. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I want to remain true to my vision because I, you know, Ultimately, my core audience is going to appreciate that more than just going with trends and pandering to 
the general public. That has been really hard for me because I'm very much seek external validation in my work. Again, another big flaw of mine, (laughs) but I'm working past that because I don't want outside forces to influence my work too much because I've seen what happens. Thanks for joining me on another Needle Exchange. I hope you enjoyed the show. I'd love to hear from you, so feel free to email hello at needle.exchange. That's N-W-E-D-L dot exchange with any thoughts, comments, or feedback. And if you want to keep up with all the news, sign up to the Needle Exchange mailing list at bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash needle exchange. See you next time.